Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. We're in this series right on home life, and I'm really excited. In two weeks, the Abide Journal's coming out. I'm really, really, really pumped about that. It's tying in with this series. It's, it's going to help you with some self-awareness stuff. I'm just so looking forward to it. Um, but we've been talking about a number of things, and, and uh, today I want to talk about, by the end of this message, I want to get to this place where I give you guys some very practical uh, advice based on Scripture uh, to help us begin to build a rhythm of rest and prayer into our life where prayer is no longer just a have to, but it's a get to. And it's not just a rigid discipline, but it's something that flows out of the rhythms of how we work and play and rest and all sorts of things. That's my goal. Um, But one of the things I want to start with here, again, one of these key, key, super key truths of this whole message series is this idea that everything is spiritual. There is no divide. See, many of us in the West have divided up the world into spiritual activities and non-spiritual activities, but there is no such thing. God made the whole universe. He made you and me. He made the physical world, okay? That means that coming to church is not a spiritual thing and everything else is not spiritual. It's when you go to work, that is spiritual. When you take your family on a vacation, that is spiritual. When you play a sport to the best of your ability and have joy and, and learn a skill, that is spiritual, It's not just spiritual when you're at home and your devotion's praying. Everything is spiritual. And I'm praying that we can start to burst through that mental block, have our eyes open to this idea that your whole life is supposed to be lived for God, which is really exciting. And of course, as we saw last week in John 17, we've been sent out into the world to be a light. Okay, so Christians aren't all supposed to gather behind the church walls to be safe. We gather here encourage each other, and then we go back out. We go back out into the sports world, into the music world, into the arts world, into the work world. We go out into all these places, and we shine for Jesus there. Very, very, very important. And we shine with the fruits of the Spirit. I want to look at Galatians 5 here. I want to point out something to you that's super important from Galatians 5. And it says here about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now that's a pile of wonderful things, isn't it? Isn't that a pile of wonderful things? I mean, don't, don't we all want to have more of those things in our lives? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now what I want to draw your attention to this morning, to think about for a few moments here at the beginning of this message is, I want you to notice that this list is more about how you do what you do, not what you do. And it's obvious when you look at this list, but it's funny to me how many times we as Christians completely miss that point. Notice that this list, it's not about what. This list does not tell you what specific things you will be doing. It just tells you how you're going to do the things you're doing. So, for example, you say, I'm not quite sure where you're going with this. Okay, let me use an example, okay? That would be special to me for my own life because I'm a football fan, okay? So, because uh, I, I think sometimes as Christians, we get this wrong idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So, I like football. So, like, let's say 
uh, you know, maybe you're someone here and you like to get together with the guys and watch football on, on Monday night with a group of guys. Now, some Christians might actually think that if you were full of the Spirit, you wouldn't do frivolous things like that. Because if you were really full of the Spirit, you wouldn't be into worldly things like sports or things like that. Uh, instead, you would want to do more ministry stuff. So instead of getting together with your friends to watch football, you would instead want to go out and do ministry. Now, going out and doing ministry is an awesome thing. Really awesome. Or they would think that instead of going to watch football, you might just want to stay home and read your Bible and pray. Again, reading your Bible and praying are wonderful things. But it's like we have this idea that the more godly you are, the more you'll want to do different things. And there is an element of that being true. You'll want to do less of the sinful things. Have you ever noticed in the Bible when you read here, that's not what the fruit of the Spirit is. Fruit of the Spirit isn't, when you're full of the Spirit, you're going to want to pray more or do more ministry, even though I actually believe that is true. But I want you to notice here, the fruit of the Spirit in your life is not that you suddenly change all the things you want to do. The fruit of the Spirit is that the things you want to do, you now want to do differently than you did before. Does that make sense? Do you see that there's not a lot of what's here? There's not a lot of what's. So now, if getting together with your buddies to watch a football game is something that is filled with crude talk or some kind of immorality, certainly that would be out. Those would be, those would be fruits of the flesh. Okay? But if you go and enjoy time with your friends and there's laughter and connection and you leave feeling joy, who made human beings to want to have fun together and be happy? Is that from the devil? Is that from the world? Did Satan go, oh, I just, oh, I just love it when human beings are happy together having fun? Who invented that? God did. So where did we as Christians get this idea that anything of the world is automatically bad? If you actually look at the rest of this list in this chapter, it talks about the, the, uh, the works of the flesh as well. And you know what none of the works of the flesh are? None of them are having fun in the world. They're all sin. So sexual immorality is bad. Strife and enmity and fighting and jealousy are bad. But again, those are hows, not what's. Does that make sense? So the fruit of the Spirit is now... You, you know, you go with your friends now, the fruit of the Spirit, as you grow more and more and more in Christ and you're full of his love, it's not necessarily that you'll stop enjoying a game of football with your buddies. You might at some point notice, wait a minute, there's a guy at my work who's socially awkward, who doesn't have a lot of friends, and you suddenly have this desire, I want to include him in our group. That might happen. But there's nothing here that says you'll... Now, and also, there might be more balance. You know, in, in, like, maybe if you're watching sports every single night of the week, maybe that's not great, and the Lord may work in you because maybe you're isolating from your family, friends, all sort of thing. But I want you to notice again, and I want to hit this home repeatedly in this message, the fruit of the Spirit is a how more than a what. Which brings me to my next point, which is, <clears throat> again, super important, the measure of how spiritual you are, and again, some of these are things that you guys, that we know, and yet, Somewhere in our heart, it hasn't connected from the logic to the heart. But the measure of how spiritual you are is not, and I will say this categorically, is not measured by how many hours a day you pray. 
And I've said things like that before in this series, but I just want to let it just sink in. And again, I think most of us kind of sort of know that if, if, if I would ask you on a test, you know, is God judging you based on, you know, on judgment day, are you being judged based on how many hours a day you spent in prayer? And you would all kind of know, well, no, I don't think that's it. And yet, what do we all feel guilty about? I very rarely talk to Christians. You know what's interesting to me? Is that when we ask each other, how are you doing spiritually? We almost always answer by sharing something from our devotional life. Which shows that, for us, spirituality is limited to the time we spend in devotions. But the greatest commandment in the Bible is not spend more time in prayer. The greatest commandment in the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why is it not that when we ask each other, how are you doing spiritually, the first thought that comes to our mind is, yeah, how am I doing in terms of loving my spouse? Yeah, how am I doing these days in terms of paying attention to my kids and not losing my temper? How am I doing at work in terms of managing my stress and how I work with people? How am I doing in terms of, are there a lot of people I hold bitterness against? When we ask each other, how are you doing spiritually, that, those are the things that God's going to judge on judgment day. Those are the things. So I'm going to look at how many hours did you pray? How many chapters of the Bible did you read? Now, I know some of you are going, oh my goodness, where is he going? He's throwing it all out. We never have to pray or, or read our Bibles anymore. I'm not throwing those things out. But as long as we've got this messed up idea, many Christians walk around feeling guilty about the wrong things. Christians walk around feeling guilty. I missed my devotions a couple of times this week. If, you want to, if you're insisting on feeling guilty for something, feel guilty for not talking to your wife at night. You want, to, you want to feel guilty about something? Feel guilty about being snappy at work. Don't feel guilty for not having your devotions twice. The reason you have your devotions is so that you can grow in the thing that really matters, which is love and the fruit of the Spirit. That's the goal of a Christian life. Now, as I said before, I think, and you know that because we've preached about this for many years, I think that prayer plays a vital role. It's just that prayer isn't the goal, and prayer isn't what you should feel guilty about, and prayer isn't what you're supposed to be measuring, and the most spiritual things in your life are how you treat people and God. So I want to look a little bit at Jesus' life and Jesus' prayer life. And we'll look at that, and then out of that, we're going to draw some principles, okay? But I want you to see Jesus' prayer life, and let's look at a couple of stories in his life. First one is the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26. Just going to stop for a moment. Boy, the taste of that apple cider just, it sticks with you. Whew. <laughs> apple cider vinegar. Whew. <laughs> apple cider vinegar. Verse 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. Now, first thing I want you to notice about this prayer time of Jesus is, is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane because, oh wait, I got to do my devotes. Oh, haven't got my prayer time in today. And shoot, they're writing this down in the book that they're going to call the Bible. 
and all the people that they're going to call Christians after me, I want to make sure they're doing their devotions right, so I better check it off. Is that why he's doing this? Is this a thing he scheduled into his life and disciplined that I have to pray? No, no, no. He's not praying because he has to pray. He's praying at a moment when he feels a deep need to pray. He needs strength. He's not going there going, oh, shoot, and what do I got to do? I got to do some Thanksgiving. I got to do some this. I got to do some that. I gotta... All helpful tools, very helpful tools. But I want you to notice that is not what's driving Jesus' prayer here. You'll find that's not ever actually what drives Jesus' prayer. Those are wonderful tools sometimes to help us get started on a prayer life. But the goal of your prayer life is not just to have some ritual with tools that you have to always just follow exactly right. Those are great things, training wheels, to get you started on something. But Jesus is going to God not because he has to, not because it's something he's checking off his list. He's going to God because he's about to go through something difficult. He is very stressed. And the most natural thing in the world for him is, I need to connect to the Father. So he goes to prayer. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? So they fell asleep, which makes me feel good. In verse 41, he says this, Watch and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, really profound. Jesus says to the disciples, the spirit is willing. He looks at them and he says, I know you guys want to do the right thing. This actually just convicts me, uh, especially from my younger years, even as a pastor here. I think too often I have assumed people's motives are bad. Jesus doesn't go to the disciples and say, you guys are just weak people who don't want to do the right thing. He says, the spirit is willing. He says, I actually know that you guys want to do the right thing. And you know what? I should believe that about our church. I don't think there's very many people in this room here today, if any at all, that get up in the morning and want to do bad things. I don't think, there, I don't think there's anybody in this room here today that gets up in the morning and thinks to themselves, let me schedule in a couple of blow-ups at the children. Let's do one right before lunch. Let's make that one a 9 out of 10. Let's do one right before bedtime, and let's make that a 10, something I'll feel ashamed of for many months to come. Does any of you do that? No. Many people get up in the morning and think to themselves, today, I am going to, I'm going to tell a lie at work. I'm actually just, I'm just going to outright, and here's how I'm going to do it. Uh, I don't think there's anyone here in this room that cold and calculated plans to sin. I think what happens is we actually get up in the morning with good intentions, and then life hits us. And at a moment of weakness, you are afraid of something, you are exhausted. You are stretched beyond your limits, and you are feeling hopeless. And out comes the fact that the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not merciful that that is how Jesus views us? That's how Jesus views you, if you've given your life to him, if it's true. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you say, you know what I think? Uh, and this is why, again, when, I talk about, when we talk about rhythm and, uh, and rest... 
okay? When we talk about rhythm and rest, the problem is not, again, that we are, have these horrible planned ideas for doing bad. The problem is many of us don't know how to withdraw from the stresses of life and recharge. So what does Jesus say here? He says, what's his answer to this? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Prayer here is not something done because Jesus says you need a certain number of hours under your belt. Prayer is something that's supposed to come out of this place of, I I want to do the right thing, I just keep not doing it. And so out of this place, it's not even just this thing where it's regimented, do, 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 do. In Jesus and the disciples' walk, what happened is, as the stress builds, Jesus is watching it, and he says, we've got to withdraw, and we've got to connect to God, and we've got to get strength to do the right thing. Now, again, I'm not against schedules. I'm a scheduled person. I see how it can be very helpful to have a schedule to get you started in just to get you thinking about prayer. But ultimately, the goal of prayer is to be something where you're aware of what's going inside, and if I don't withdraw and connect with the Father again, I'm not going to be able to do the things I wish I could do. That's the purpose of prayer. To connect to the Father, not counting up hours. When we look in the Gospels, we'll see many examples of Jesus praying. And what we won't find in the Gospels anywhere is the schedule of how much he prayed, or how often, or when. In fact, you won't find anything like that in the Bible for any of the disciples. So again, my question to you is, we see all over how important prayer is. But if you actually read the Bible for prayer, you're not going to find a schedule of this is how you do it, and this is how often. Yet, we as Christians spend all our time feeling guilty about it. What you will find is that people who walk with God, for them, prayer wasn't a have to. It was, it was a natural response to our need for God And there was a rhythm to their lives. And you're going to see that in the Gospels. I want to point it out to you and just show you a couple places. What you're going to see in the Gospels is not so much a rigid schedule. As helpful as schedules are, we have to keep in mind that schedules are not the point. Jesus didn't follow prayer as a schedule. Jesus followed prayer as a rhythm. He would go out, and then he would retreat and connect. So, for example, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes out into the desert for how many days? 40 days. And during that 40 days, he does nothing. He's just in prayer, he's fasting, he's sleeping, he's wandering. He's 40 days doing nothing humanly productive. And first of all, that just blows my mind. Because I think lots of us are actually afraid to do nothing. We're actually terrified of doing nothing. We're afraid if we did nothing for a lengthy period of time, we might find that our lives have no purpose. We're afraid that if we did nothing for a long time, we're afraid of the thoughts that would come into our minds, thoughts we really don't want to think and don't want to confront about who we are and why we're here and what makes living life worth living. We're afraid of those, and so instead of Stopping to think them, subconsciously we keep ourselves busy, 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 so we don't have time to think those thoughts. 
You know what's amazing to me is that Jesus could go 40 days and he was completely comfortable not being productive. He was completely comfortable just being himself. That's crazy to me, okay? And yet that wasn't all he did. He went out for 40 days. Then we find other passages where he's so busy he can't even eat. I'll show you two stories. Mark chapter 3. So, and this is my point, is that it's not just this rigid timetable. Jesus' life follows a rhythm of going out, ministering, and then retreating and cutting off and resting. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, then he went home and a crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. So busy they were, him and his disciples. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. He said, he's going crazy. What is he doing? Okay? Then we find the same thing three chapters later, Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So, first of all, I want you to notice that they were so busy, not even able to eat. And I want you first to notice that that doesn't sound very healthy, does it? I mean, they're just going so hard. But second thing I want you to notice is, I want you to notice who instigates the getting away for rest. The thing that really has blown me away as I'm thinking about it this week, this week and meditating on this passage is, it's not the disciples that go to Jesus and go, Master, you're, <laughs> we're dying. I mean, you're God and all. We can't run with God. We need a break. It's not the disciples that ask for a break. It's Jesus who says, come away. And he doesn't send them away. Come away. We're going we're gonna to take a break. I'm going to disconnect. We're going to disconnect together. Jesus instigates it. Why? Because he made you and he didn't make you to go, go, go. And people who go, 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 whether it be work or whether it be work plus kids' activities plus church involvement plus whatever it is, People who just go, 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 and don't have a supporting system of stop, stop, stop that's strong enough to support the going, uh, you will burn out, or sometimes it can actually even lead to moral blowouts. Because again, here's something I know about sin. One of the most profound things I've learned in conversations with Stefan and different things we've been learning over the last few years, I never thought about it this way before. Have you ever thought about this? Again, when are you most likely, when are you most likely to cave in to a temptation, whatever that temptation is? Is it right after you come home from having a great, maybe it was just a particularly good church service and the worship was great and you're feeling good and you had a good night's rest and your wife actually held your hand out into the parking lot on the way out and things feel good. When you get home, is it like, you know what? Boom, I need some sin. That's not when you sin. For the most part, that is not when you fall into your big temptations. When do you fall into your big temptations? I'll tell you when it is. It's when you're feeling hopeless. And you feel like certain problems will never get fixed. And you're exhausted. And you're anxious, even if you don't use that word to describe it, but you're stressed. And you're tired and things feel dark. That is when we are most prone, because remember, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
So part of the problem, it's not the only problem, and that's not an excuse. I didn't just give everybody a blanket excuse. Oh, it doesn't matter that you sin because you only sin because you were tired. Sin has consequences. Sin is devastating. Sin hurts the ones we love. It doesn't make it any less bad. It's just telling you a fact. And that's why so many people, you repent. You go, you know, you come to church service and you, you, yes, I am not doing this anymore. And you're right. In that moment, you're not even close to doing it again. But it's not in that moment when you're going to sin. It's a week later, two weeks later, after you've started to take a slide down again. And then at the end of that slide is a place where you're too weak to resist. Now, there's a whole, we can get into a whole theology of working together and helping each other grow out of our habits, and that's so important. That's a lot of what seven pillars, eight pillars, and path to freedom, and many of these things are about. My point isn't here, how do we all get out of that? My point here is to think about, in our lives, in this home life series, is we need to start thinking about a more basic structural problem in our lives, which is we don't know how to stop and disconnect and recharge. I don't know how to recharge. We don't know how to go. We don't even know. Many of us don't even have any self-awareness. We don't even know the signs inside of us that for the last month, I've been running on empty. My stress levels are here. And it's just a matter of time before you cave into something. So what do we see Jesus, the Son of God, doing? He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. We have got to disconnect from these things, even though they're good, so we can reconnect to the Father and reconnect with rest so we can be recharged and keep going again. Super important. Now, in this case, things are complicated. Okay? And uh, so we find this, verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And then in verse 33, as I said, it gets complicated Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, that line right there just makes me love Jesus more. That even in his human body, at his max exhaustion, and his disciples' max exhaustion, the crowd follows him there. They won't give him the break that he wants and that they need. And in that moment, out of the depths of his exhaustion, he ministers to them in love anyway. That just makes me love Jesus more. Here's something else I know, though. Most of us are completely unable to do that. And we need Jesus' help, because sometimes we are exhausted, and we need Jesus' help and power, but we don't want to always be there. And here's the thing I want you to see, because some people might look at that and say, see, love wins out over rest. It's actually not the moral of this story because what you're going to find is Jesus gives out love and then he still gets away to rest. Love does not replace rest. It's love and still rest. Because if we go just a few verses later, verse 45, so he does feed the thousands. That's a big deal. Then verse 45, he says this, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He says, you are going to get out of here now. You are going to get out of here. The moral of this story is not love is more important than rest. The moral of this story is that you need to love and you need to rest. To Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And again, we find Jesus praying. I could show you so many examples in the Gospels. The Son of God 
needed to connect to the Father. But again, we don't find him doing prayer because he has to. We don't find him going, I gotta dismiss these crowds because I haven't had my devotions today. That is not anywhere in his thinking. He dismisses the crowds because he's like, I'm exhausted and I need and want to connect to the Father. It's a get to, not a have to. It's a get to, not a have to. Now, I want to say one more thing, and then we're going to get very, very practical to end this message. Sometimes in our zeal, so this is only to some of you, sometimes people who are really zealous to do something for Jesus will look at the gospel stories and they'll say, I don't see, even though I'm showing your passages, I don't see that Jesus spent a lot of time or, you know, resting or that he didn't, I don't see him doing leisurely things. He just, he just love, 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 minister, minister, minister. And so there's almost this idea that if you're really zealous for Jesus, that's how you should live too. So a couple things I want to say to that. First of all, you'll see that Jesus does pull away to rest. But you're right. He is very, very busy doing a lot of ministry. But I want to tell you something else. How long did Jesus' ministry last? Three years. Are you hoping to last three years or longer? What did Jesus do till he was 30? Was he ministering at, a, at an insane pace? Nope. He was a carpenter, which in... Today, some kind of construction worker might have been like a stonemason. All the way till he was 30, he lived a very normal life. So normal that the hometown where he was working and growing up was shocked when they found out that he was the son of God. That's why in Mark 3, when he starts doing ministry and people start gathering to him, they're shocked. So don't think that those three years, this is the pattern exactly of how you are to live your entire life. Jesus had a very specific ministry, Yahweh in the flesh. He exhibits to us that we need to minister and that we need to love and that we need to self-sacrifice. But do not think in your zeal that you can match what he did for in a lifetime what he did in three years. Jesus wants you to take a break too. So that brings us to Rhythm. I think it's helpful when we begin to think and when we begin to understand what the goal of prayer is, the goal of a devotional life is not to build up as massive an amount of hours as we possibly can before we go to see Jesus on Judgment Day. That's not the goal. The goal of your devotional life is not to build the perfect schedule that you never miss, that is perfectly balanced every day. You want to know something else? You'll notice I'm using the word rhythm and not the word balance. Because in the Gospels, we don't see Jesus living a perfectly balanced life. Every day was perfectly balanced with the right nutrients and the right amounts of time of rest and work. We don't see Jesus work, you know, ministering eight hours. I'm out of here. See you guys. Nutritious supper. Some leisure time and eight hours of sleep. Every day, perfectly balanced day. That's not what Jesus did. He lived in a rhythm. He went out and hard, disconnect, recharge. Go up, hard, disconnect, reconnect, and charge, recharge. So the point of this is not to find a perfect balance every single day. The point of this is to follow the Spirit according to what He's called you to, and your personality, and your capacity, 
And to understand that you can't go, 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 go all the time. And being aware of that, know that Jesus is actually inviting you to stop. Many of us only think Jesus ever asks us to do more. But we see him asking his disciples to stop as well. I think it's helpful when you start to think of that, instead of building a rigid schedule, I think it's helpful to think of our lives more on a week-long basis and to think of it more as a rhythm. Try to build a rhythm for your life that then helps you get to the real goal, which is that you would be in communion with the Father. What does Paul say throughout his epistles? That we would pray continually. The goal of your, of your prayer life is to bust through this idea that I only pray to God during a certain amount of time each morning. The goal is to bust through to this place where on my way to a stressful meeting, I consciously stop to think about God and go, would you go with me into this? Where I take breaks throughout the day, even if they're small, and I just remember to think about God's blessings. And I'm in communion with God throughout the day. That's ultimately the goal, to walk with God in everything because everything is spiritual. Now, to get there is a long process. And God knows that. But I think a first step is thinking of our lives in a rhythm and building a rhythm into our lives that helps us think about God more, not in the idea of have to, but in the idea of get to. So I'm going to finish this message by showing you my personal rhythm right now, which to me kind of feels a little bit at times like oversharing. The only reason I'm doing it is because I hope that some of you, first of all, do not copy this. It's not meant to be copied. We're not meant to compare. Your life is very different than mine. But I just want to show you what it can begin to look like when you begin to connect with God as a rhythm rather than just as a rigid schedule. And maybe you'll take some creative ideas out of this. So this is not something to look up to. It's also not something for some of you to look down on. Can I get an amen? So let me just take you through. I'll just take, it, take you through it briefly, okay? I, my, my week starts with Tuesday because Monday is my Sabbath rest. That's at the end of the, that's at the, end of the week. I'm on the home stretch now, okay? I love Sunday mornings. So Tuesday, what is my... And this is just very rudimentary, but Tuesday's my, my, my kind of the start. So what is my kind of devotional rhythm connecting to God? What are the things I've kind of planned as a rhythm in hopes of growing myself in awareness of God throughout the day, which is the goal, to be connecting to God constantly. So Tuesday morning starts with we have our pastor's cell group at 6.30 uh, in the morning. And you'll notice, by the way, you'll notice, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He doesn't have personal devos before his cell group? Is he qualified to be our pastor? you see what we do with some of these things? I don't have personal devos before my cell group because when I get to cell, we have Zach leading us in worship, and why would I try to copy that on my own? You guys don't get them for yourselves, sorry. We sing together, and then we do sharing, and then we do accountability to our weekly action step. By the way, that weekly action step is one of the most, for me, it has, and Stefan has gotten that kind of started in a lot of our cells. That weekly action step for me is one of the core things of my uh, devotional walk. It means that every day I'm trying to grow 
or every week, I'm trying to take one small step to grow in love. So this week, I, had, I was reviewing, because Sunday mornings, I like to review my weekly action step for the week and plan my weekly action step for the next week. Now, you know what bugs me sometimes? Is often when I talk to Christians, what's your weekly action step? It always has something to do with their devotions. Stop it already. My weekly action step this week is I got to pray. I want to pray 15 minutes more a day. Well, that's great. That can be a weekly action step at some point in your life. But at what point do you move on to trying to grow in love, which is the thing that really matters? Some of you, before adding 15 minutes to your prayer time, should just add being nice to your wife. Try it for a week, see what happens. <laughs> My life is different. Ha, ha, ha. Can you imagine if we all had a weekly action step? I repeat mine over and over because I don't think I can change something every single week. So the last couple of weeks, I've been working on communicating better to my wife. She's not here today. Don't tell her. Shh, I think she is noticing. <laughs> and I've done some practical very things in there. And actually, we're both way happier these days. Love it. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's clapworthy. Thank you anyway. That weekly action step is a life changer for me, and I get accountability from my group. Did you actually do it this week? It's wonderful. And then we pray together. I can't imagine a better way to spend an hour and a half to start my day on Tuesday. I am flying high for God and ready to go for my meetings. Now, Tuesday and Wednesday, talking about rhythm, Tuesday and Wednesday are very different for me than the other days of my week. Tuesday and Wednesday for me are a sprint. I have, once I finish pastor's cell, I have just meetings straight and people in my office all day Tuesday, and all day Wednesday, no stopping. So, now, I'm not saying that as a complaint. I look forward to the Tuesday morning when I get up, I'm like, I'm ready to go. But it impacts how I do my devotions, because there's a rhythm to life. So Wednesday mornings when I get up, you'll notice Wednesday morning, the first thing I do, you know, I, I have heard for years people say, basically, and I've preached it, so I'm taking some of that back. And basically, if you don't give God the first hour of your day, you are maybe not a sinner. I don't think I ever would have said that, but you're second rate. Now, I do like starting my day with God. But you know what I do on Wednesdays, just because of the way my days work? I know that I'm not going to get any time during the day to organize my thoughts from all these meetings. And it's going to drive me crazy and it's going to stress me out. So I get up super, super, super early on Wednesday mornings, and I go into the basement. Nobody is even close to being awake. I don't come here to the church. I don't want to get interrupted. And I put in a few hours of organizing stuff on my own from all of my meetings, getting ready for my other meetings, which just lifts a huge burden of stress off me. And then I come to church around 8.30 or 9, and then it's more meetings, 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 meetings. But I know already from a rhythm of my life that Wednesday afternoons, after all day Tuesday and all day Wednesday, I'm going to start feeling, I'm going to start feeling the grind. The stress is just, it starts to go up, it starts to just add up, and you just start to, oh. So you know what I do now? It's like, it's not a have to. It's one of my best get-tos of the week. I take an hour in the afternoon on Wednesdays. At 1, sometimes it's at 1.30. And I go into the prayer room. Now, not all of you, again, you can't copy this because most of you don't have a prayer room. But you go somewhere, go to the bathroom. <laughs> for an hour, whatever you need. Uh, 
Leave me alone. Anyway, um, I go to the prayer room. I don't go there because I have to. I go there because I want to. It is the best feeling. And I spend an hour with God there in the middle of the day instead of at the beginning because it's actually what works for me during those days. And then I just give it all to God. I meditate on a very encouraging scripture verse of some kind. Oh, this last week I was in Hebrews 12. It was amazing. And then I prayerfully give God the things that are building up. I don't take any emails. Everybody feels bad to interrupt me because I'm in the prayer rooms. Nobody does. And if you start, you'll be in trouble. Um, <laughs> and, then I get to th- and then I go back to work. And it's amazing. The last part of my Wednesday is great. And then Thursday is more of a traditional devotional time. It's first thing in the morning. And I like to have my time with God. That's when I often on Thursday mornings is when I like to read a chapter of some kind of spiritual growth book. Just I'm learning something. You want to know what book I'm reading right now? It's incredible. Okay? They'll actually, you're not even interested, are you? <laughs> I'm going to show it to you anyway because I honestly think that many, many, many of you should read it and it will give you great joy and will help you immensely. It's called God in My Everything. Kyle Shepard gave this to me two weeks after I started this series. And I love this book. It's probably $15 or $20. I have purposely not told them to put it in the library because what are we going to do? Put two or three copies in there and then you guys all be fighting and the Saturday night crowd would have got it already anyway. Because <laughs> actually, some of you, the best thing you could do is spend $20 on something good. And get yourself a book, How an Ancient Rhythm Helps Busy People Enjoy God. It's by a Canadian pastor from Vancouver. Really good. Really, really good. Anyway... Uh, back to my weekly rhythm, my journal and prayer and scripture. Friday and Saturday, 15 minutes of trusting prayer to start. Now you say, 15 minutes? You know what I do on Fridays and Saturdays is my message prep day. I meditate on scripture huge. You want to hear how dorky I've been over the course of my life? For years, I would feel guilty. I have to spend an hour meditating on scripture before I do any message prep. So that means I'm going to meditate on a scripture, not the scripture I want to preach about, because otherwise I'll feel guilty. So I'm going to meditate on a different one, and I'm going to refuse to write down any thoughts that could potentially be used for a message. And then when the hour's up, I'm now going to go take another passage, and I'm going to meditate on that for the message. Does that make any sense to any of you? Do you see where prayer can just become a, it's a thing I'm doing? Does that even make sense? See what I do now before I do message prep? I love it. It's not a have to, it's a get to. I have my most comfortable chair in the basement. It's one of those Ikea ones. But one of the good ones. (laughs) Before I start my message prep, I don't even want to start my message prep. I'm so looking forward to that. I sit in that chair. I have a cup of coffee. I just started drinking coffee last month. It is the best thing ever. It is mind-blowing. It's so good. I have a cup of coffee. And I say to Jesus, because my goal isn't just to spend an hour with him. My goal is to walk with him prayerfully throughout the whole message prep process and my whole day. I would never want to miss starting it off, just get myself focused on him. So I just thank him and I pray to him. I love you, Jesus. 
there's any worries that are distracting me, I just give them to him. Quote a couple of psalms. And then you say, yeah, but you're only spending 15 minutes. No, I'm not. That 15 minutes is the doorway into the next bunch of hours. I'm not leaving then. Oh, 15 minutes over. No more God. 15 minutes over. Lord, now guide me. Let's, let's get into this thing. I want to help your people live with hope for you. And then comes Sunday. That was this morning. I love Sunday. Gotten through Saturday. Woo, survived that Saturday, Saturday crowd. They're a tough bunch. You know what I do on Sundays? Oh, I did this morning. It was awesome. I've discovered something else in addition to coffee in the last month. You know that on Apple, you can pay them 10 bucks a month and you can listen to any song you want, anytime. <laughs> Some of you have been on this for years. I literally, I feel like I've been born again. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I can listen to new worship music constantly. And I look forward to Sunday mornings Sunday mornings, I cranked the worship music. I did it again this morning. And I'm thankful to God. Sunday morning is a time I'll be pacing around the ping pong table. I'm praying for my kids. I'm praying for my family. I'm having a great time. I'll send encouraging notes sometimes to people. Anything God brings to my mind. I just take as much time as I possibly want. It's not about an exact amount of time. It's just about I get to be with Jesus. And then Monday, that's tomorrow, is my Sabbath and I disconnect. My goal on Mondays is not how much time can I spend in devos in the morning. My goal is how far can I sleep in. <laughs> I try to make it to 7 o'clock a.m. because I want to get seven and a half or eight hours Sunday to Monday. I want to do it. And then when I finally get out of bed around 7, because that's hard for me to go any past that, and I get up, and then I read my Bible, but I do not want to learn anything on Monday morning. I have learned enough. And if you think that's unbiblical, read Ecclesiastes 12, right near the end of the chapter. Of much studying, there is no end, and it wearies the soul. So Monday mornings, I just read the Bible and don't take notes. And I just love Jesus. And then my kids get up to go to school, and we do a little family devotional time. And I have a little walk and talk with Ladon. And in the afternoon, I am gloriously, gloriously unproductive. <laughs> and by the time Tuesday morning rolls around, I am ready to go. I'm ready to attack another week and go hard for Jesus again. You get to communicate with God anytime you want. It's not a have to. So here's what I encourage you to do this week. Don't feel guilty about this. If you're ready, begin work on building a rhythm of rest and prayer that helps you come alive in Christ. And considering reading that book, God and My Everything, I think for many of you, it would be very helpful. I'm going to pray for you now. I have taken you too long. And it's right at that time. So I'm going to dismiss you, but I'm going to pray for you first. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you invite us to rest. Thank you that we get to communicate with you all day long. It's not a have to. Just one little piece of our day. We get to. I pray that you would break through the mental block of prayer as just simply a discipline. That we would enjoy living in a rhythm of serving you and then pulling back to recharge. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.